Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Richard Chilla, who is the Executive Director of Michigan State University Technologies, also known as MSUT. Rich is responsible for all strategic and operational issues related to managing the university's diverse intellectual property portfolio, including identifying and protecting intellectual property, marketing and negotiating technology transfer opportunities with industry, and helping to identify innovations with the potential to form startup companies. Rich also works closely with the directors of MSU Business Connect, MSU's Portal for Engagement with the Business Community, and Spartan Innovations, which focuses on launching sustainable MSU startups. Rich has a history of success in licensing and commercialization. Prior to MSUT, he was the Director of Technology Transfer for the College of Engineering at the University of Michigan. While at Michigan, he grew new invention disclosures and engineering licensing agreements and initiated the formation of two startup companies to commercialize university technologies. Before the University of Michigan, Rich spent more than 20 years in the specialty chemistry industry, holding domestic and international positions in product and business development and technology management and licensing at Johnson Polymer and BASF Corporation. Rich earned his bachelor's and doctoral degrees in chemical engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology. Additionally, he holds several U.S. and international patents. In fact, if anyone is curious, I looked up one of Rich's patents, and you can look at U.S. patent number 5508366, which is directed to the continuous production of hydroxylated addition polymers with reduced gel content. And with that very impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Rich. Thanks very much, Lisa. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thanks again for taking part in the podcast. Um, Let's go ahead and kick things off at the beginning. I'm kind of curious, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be curious, what led you to leave private industry and go into tech transfer? And also, how did you end up at the University of Michigan and then finally MSUT? Yeah, an interesting story. Like like a lot of uh, tech transfer professionals, uh, te- university tech transfer is a second career for me. I spent first 20 years in industry. And... Um, in a lot of my roles in industry, um, especially towards the latter part of my industrial career, I was really working at that interface between new technology and business. And I liked working at that interface. And so for my companies I worked for, I was doing some in-licensing, some out-licensing, a lot of business development. And I was looking for a change. And I was living in Michigan at the time with for my company. And uh, someone directed me to a job posting that the University of Michigan had for this uh, uh, tech transfer position supporting the College of Engineering. They're looking for someone with an engineering background with some licensing experience. And so 
I applied there and there was a terrific interview there. And yeah, I was really fortunate, a great place to start. Awesome. And then you moved on from there. I'm assuming another job opened up at MSUT. Yep. So uh, so at uh, Michigan State University, they were looking for someone to head up the whole tech transfer office after I'd been at University of Michigan about four years. And so so um, I interviewed there and uh, was offered a job. And so I moved uh, just about a, a hundred miles away to uh, for the Michigan State job. Now, in my research on MSUT, it looks like there's a quite a bit going on up at your office. Could you tell us a little bit about how your office is structured? Sure. So um, MSUT is really a cradle-to-grave office that begins with taking in new invention disclosures from faculty and working with faculty on their, their invention disclosures, all the way through protecting the intellectual property, marketing the intellectual property, finding commercial partners for it, and in all aspects of the licensing negotiation. And, you know, and as part of that, of course, like any tech transfer office for a good-sized research university, we have a big back office that works on uh, collecting the royalties on our, uh, on our licenses, on uh, meeting the compliance regulations for Baidol and all the patented back office and docketing and so forth. Um, the only thing that is not done exactly in my office is the actual uh, startup formation and business formation of, of startups. That's done in Spartan Innovations, and we work collaboratively with them, but that is actually outside my office. Got it. How many individuals would you say are in your office? Uh, at this moment, uh, we have 22 uh, oh, full-time professionals. Yeah, it's a pretty big size office. It's a good size office. It's about average for a university that has research volume of the size that we have which is just in the neighborhood of $700 million a year in research expenditures. Now, you mentioned Spartan Innovations, and I know you work closely with them, and then also with what's called Business Connect. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about each of those? Sure, sure can. So all, so all three of the offices that you just talked about, MSU Technology, which is the office that I lead, uh, Business Connect, and Spartan Innovations, the three offices form what we call the MSU Innovation Center. And we're all co-located, actually, in the, in the same building. And so Business Connect, you can think of them as the, uh, the front door to the university for industry. So whether a company is looking for sponsored research in a particular area, whether they're looking for students, whether they're looking for technologies that might be available from the university, Business Connect sort of acts as that front door, as well as actually doing the negotiation uh, for industry-sponsored research contracts. So that's what they do. Um, and then Spartan Innovations, uh, Spartan Innovations, as I said, works uh, primarily on creating startups uh, based on new companies coming out of MSUT. And that includes helping to mentor them, helping to fund them at the early stage, and, and helping to launch them. They handle both student-based startups and uh startups based on technology that's owned by the university as well. So they do they do both facets of it. But Spartan Innovations is actually a wholly owned subsidiary of the MSU Foundation. Um, but it's that's done primarily for legal and con legally convenient reasons, not for sure. primarily not for any structural reasons. Do you know um, you mentioned that the Spartan Innovations helps the startups with funding is that through VC connections, or do they have kind of a little um, 
pot or bolus of money that they're able to award to startups or, or is it a mixture of both? both. Okay. Yeah, both. So, uh, so the Spartan Innovations team, um, one, they, they foster really close connections with uh, uh, venture capital and investors, both in the state of Michigan and, and nationally. So they have, they keep those relationships. And also we do have a captive, um, seed fund called Red Cedar Ventures, and that is uh, run out of the MSU Foundation as well, and they provide sometimes the, the first seed capital for a lot of our startups, both student startups and uh, uh, faculty-based startups. Yeah, that's really great because yeah, I'm, I actually live in Chicago, and, and one of the issues we have being in what we call a lot of times flyover country is getting that VC type of support and uh, finding that funding. So that's that's awesome that you have been able to develop that there in Michigan. Well, you know, if, if in Chicago, your flyover country in the central part of Michigan were to flyover country to higher altitude. Exactly, exactly. So in addition to Spartan Innovations and Business Connect, you also have an accelerator and a newly launched incubator. Can you tell us a little bit about each of those as well? Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm ha- happy to. So um, the, the incubator is actually a physical facility. And um, yeah, th- this is fairly recent. We were really fortunate. Um, we had There used to be a, a chemical company that had a small research and laboratory facility located actually in East Lansing, just down the street from MSU. And they had moved out and the facility was empty for quite some time. And we were in search of wet lab facilities for a lot of our startups and laboratory facilities. We had, we had terrific facilities for um, startups that didn't require lab space, but we needed something for, for those that required a lab. So um, actually the MSU foundation came in and invested the, invested the money to convert the, this former chemical facility into the uh, Van Camp incubator and research labs. And, uh, I'm actually quite proud about the name that they chose. Uh, Loretta Van Camp was an MSU microbiologist and researcher who actually worked on one of the university's most successful and famous inventions, which is uh, cisplatin, the cancer chemotherapy drug. And Loretta was a little bit the, the person behind the scenes. The, the, the main PI was Barney Rosenberg. He was very well known. Loretta was really key, and I think her role may not have been fully recognized at the time. And so we were really thrilled to name it after her. And her family, her family, her uh, her her children, her grandchildren uh, came for the dedication of it. it, was, it was well, that's fun. really neat. Yeah, that's a great story. And and so um, Conquer Accelerator actually is a I'll call it a, a bit of a startup boot camp that is run by uh, again out of Spartan Innovations. And uh, for for grooming select teams for ten weeks of pretty extensive uh, programming and and helping them learn how to develop a business plan, how to develop a pitch, how to do fundraising, um, it's open to any startups in the area. Um, historically, it's probably had more student based startups uh, than uh, community based startups, but but uh, it, it's, it's really open in the community. So you don't make a distinction, university versus community-based? No. And in fact, um, several of the student teams that have come out of Conquer Accelerator have really done well. We've had a couple that have finished in the top four in South by Southwest uh, competitions later that year after wow. being in Conquer Accelerator. So. Wow, that's amazing. You guys really 
have a lot going on and a lot of different opportunities and ways to develop uh, and get your technology out into the public, which is fantastic. And I think that's reflected. I took a look at your fiscal 2019 report and it was very impressive. According to that report, it said you had 181 invention disclosures. You had 3.25 million from licenses. You filed 63 new patent applications, which is is a lot. You had 57 new patents issued. You had 28.9 million in total revenue from licensing and reimbursements since 2015. Four new startups, 24.2 million in corporate gift grant and project support. And then um, since 2015, 318 agreements to transfer innovation to a company. So those are some really impressive numbers that um, indicates, I think, between your office, the MSU uh, Connect, Business Connect, the Spartan Innovations Incubator Accelerator. I think it, it's showing, you know, um, real growth in the area. You know, we really worked hard at trying to develop the ecosystem um, in the in the area, and you know, we're we're pleased with these numbers. We think that they are good progress, but I would say we're not satisfied. We'd really like to to grow uh, a number of those numbers. Um, uh, you know, the metrics. You know, there's always a lot of focus on numbers, and uh, in fact, you know, autumn metrics are very important. I've been very active in autumn, and so of course, I support uh, I support the use of the metrics. But the metrics are important, but really tech transfer is about creating impact. And it's about creating impact for the public. And it's often the stories that are really important. And that's what, what gets us excited. It's, it's, a little hard to, it's a little hard to come up with one or two met, uh, metrics that measure impact clearly. We're, we're, we're actually working on you know, developing better metrics that, that measure impact. But it is it is the stories the it is the stories that matter. Yeah, and I I think you probably have some some good ones, and and maybe we can get into a couple of those now about some of your startup success stories, um, because I know given all this activity and this this fertile ecosystem that you have, that you've had quite a few successful startups come out. Um, do you want to share maybe a few of those with us? Sure, happy to. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be talking about startups that are based on technology developed at the university. So there have been a lot of terrific startups that have come out of uh, the students. But my office doesn't work as much with the students. I work more with uh, faculty and university-owned technology. So that's what I'll be talking about. So the first one is uh, a company called Cebo Technologies. This is a venture-funded uh, uh, company. It was actually helped. We partnered with Flagship Ventures out of Boston. Uh, Cambridge, actually, uh, on this. And it's really a startup that we launched in 2015 based on a crop simulation technology we had and big data agronomy. And um, Cebotech has, has actually recently launched one of their big land intelligence platforms. Who, you, know, you can think about this as one of the first products to come out of this uh, startup. And it's about proprietary insights on land and lease valuation for farmland, including insights about long-term productivity, stability, environmental impact of the land. So one way to think about it is kind of a, a, a Zillow on steroids but for <laughs> farmland. And, uh, and so uh, we're, really, we're really excited uh, about, about that company. That's a really unique technology. I've, I've Nothing else like it. And it sounds like you know, they've been very, very successful. 
they have a they have a great team in place, and they've been a great partner for us, and we we've enjoyed working with them, and we continue to uh, we continue to develop new technologies in the university, and for if they're related and relevant to SIBO, we you know they're we're, we're still partnering about adding technologies to their portfolio. Uh, second company is is in the uh, medical device space, a company called uh, Ratia Medical. And this was launched in 2012. So it was launched just around the time I was um, uh, joining Michigan State. So I, in fact, I didn't have much to do with the creation of it. It had just been formed at the time that I joined. But it was to take this um, hemodynamic monitoring technology uh, that was developed at the university and to create a, a, a monitor, a device that would be used in uh, high-risk operating rooms and intensive care units in hospitals. And if you know anything about medical devices, these things take a long time to develop and get ready. And so the company uh, got FDA approval on their Argos device in December of 19. And really shortly afterwards, uh, they managed to get some uh, purchase orders from three of the top five hospitals in the United States. So we're really excited about Radia and uh, they're really at a critical point in their trajectory in getting approval for use in, in hospitals. Um, I, I was talking to the CEO of the company not that long ago, and he was telling me anecdotally how they think that it could actually be helping during the COVID-19 pandemic because um, hemodynamic monitoring uh, of severely ill patients really helps wean them off um, the, uh, the respirators and as, as quickly as possible, which is really beneficial for both the hospital and for the patients as well. Oh, wow. Absolutely. And then um, maybe talk a little bit about, I'll mention about the PhotoSync uh, Q. PhotoSync was really uh, allowed plant researchers to collect data on plant health in the field through uh, a handheld device, which is really uh, a combination of fluorometer, chlorophyll meter, and benchtop spectrometer all in one. So Imagine something that is sort of the, uh, the shape of a very, very large office stapler, maybe kind of looks similar to that. Imagine that you put a leaf in between the, where you normally put a piece of paper where you're doing a stapling and you close the, the jaw on that and that it would measure all of this activity about what's actually happening with the plant and then take the data and uh, beam it to, uh, to a, a central database. So that's really what PhotoSync is all about. Uh, pretty recently launched. Uh, we're really excited about it and really excited for what it means, especially in the developing world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Places like Africa and Southeast Asia. And, you know, that could have huge um, implications for food supply and things like that, where they they just don't have access to labs and things like that. That's exactly right. So we so currently has uh, 5,000 users around the world, including very large use in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about startups and, you know, you touched on three of them and it sounds like there are plenty more we could talk about. How about corporate partners? Um, given that you have Business um, Connect, uh, it sounds like you you probably have a fair amount of, of business partners. And, and also given where you're located, uh, I'm sure there are some local uh, partners, too, that are probably very involved with the university. Uh, do you want to talk about a few of those, or if if you can talk about some of those? Sure, I can talk in uh, in in general terms. So you know, let's talk about Michigan first. So, of course, there are several companies based in Michigan that you know hire a lot of our graduates and have wanted 
uh, a closer relationship and partnership with the university, as well as wanting to be able to sponsor research uh, at the university. So two that come to mind are Ford Motor Company and Dow Chemical Company. With both of those companies, we have a, a master agreement that basically has pre-negotiated terms for how any sponsored research gets uh, handled. So it allows the negotiation of a new project to take place very, very quickly and to start up quickly. And so um, each year at our university, there's a number of projects that fall under these, these agreements. And uh, so that's one example. But, but, but really, Business Connect reaches out to lots of different companies interested in doing sponsored research at the university in all different kinds of area. The ag space, uh, pure science, pure, pure chemistry, um, engineering, um, even in the business school. That's amazing. And um, one area I did want to focus a little bit on with respect to corporate partners um, is I know you have a very strong ag program. You mentioned, you know, two of your startups work in the ag space, but also you you do a lot of plant breeding. And I I know from some of the research I did that there's a lot of really great new varieties and rootstocks and, and genetics coming out of your programs there. That's led to a lot of cooperation and partnership with um, some pretty big or some fairly large, I should, maybe I should say, um, part, corporate partners in the food space. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your, your plant breeding and, and the impact that it's had um, and some of the corporate relationships that it's led to? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So actually, uh, Michigan State University has some of the best plant breeding uh, scientists in the world in, in, in certain areas. So um, I'll, I'll mention a couple of them by name. Um, uh, Dr. James Hancock, uh, reasonably recently retired from the university, but he was a blueberry breeder and developed a number of varieties, and we licensed those worldwide. They're uh, licensed throughout North America, South America, Europe, and, and Asia. And they're, one, they're some of the most uh, uh, popular blueberries used all throughout the, the world. Um, Dr. James Kelly is a, uh, a dry bean breeder uh, for us. He's developed a variety, which again, we've launched um, all, throughout, all throughout the United States, uh, Michigan, and, um, and globally as well. Uh, Dr. Amy Iazzoni is developing uh, cherry rootstocks, and we're in the process of just beginning the commercialization of, uh, of those. And uh, Dr. David Douches is a uh, potato breeder and, uh, and has a genetics program. And he's very, very active with uh, some of the very large potato companies whose names you'd recognize in developing special varieties for either uh, potato chips or for French fries or for various types of, of uh, target uh, markets. Also, we have some very active uh, international programs uh, developing varieties for use um, in the developing world to prevent uh, potato blight and various types of pests to uh, to solve solve international uh, food problems. That's great. Along those same lines, um, you want to tell us a little bit more about some of your office's biggest success stories? It sounds like you've had a great deal of success, but I suspect there are probably a couple that that stand out in your mind. Yes. And uh, I'm going to talk about some success stories. Um, and I'm going to define success by more than just those that made a lot of money. In, in many cases, these did make quite a bit of money, but I'm really like to focus on the impact. So 
the biggest success story that the university had is uh, cisplatin and carboplatin, which I mentioned earlier, which are uh, chemotherapy drugs. And um, literally millions of lives were saved uh, by those drugs um, during the life of their patents. Uh, they're off patent now, but even though they're off patent, they're still among the most widely prescribed chemotherapy drugs in um, cocktails. Yeah, indulge me in a, in, a, in a very short story. Um, I was at a I was at a conference in uh, Philadelphia, and just meeting a meeting a gentleman at the conference, and we were talking shop over a drink at the bar at the conference. And he asked what I did, and I told him. He asked, "Hey, what, what's your university known for?" And I said, "You know, uh, the chemotherapy drug cisplatin." And he he got really quiet, and his eye teared up, and he said, uh, uh, "My daughter, uh, when she was 19 years old, had brain cancer, and she was treated and saved by cisplatin." She's 32 years old, married, and I have two grandchildren now. Yep. And so I'm buying your drink. And it was a terrific story. Yeah, it really made me feel good. Yeah, it's amazing. And with some of those cancer drugs, they they may be off patent, they may be so-called old, but they're still the best treatments out there. They still the as much as Big Pharma tries to find better treatments, some of those like cisplatins, one of them are still the gold standard treatment for a lot of cancers. Yeah, indeed. We, um, we, we had a, actually a celebration at the university last year, the 40th anniversary of, uh, of the launch of it. So it was, uh, it was quite a big event. That's awesome. So um, going away from uh, drug discovery, um, talk about something that uh, is sort of unique to MSU that we're very, very proud of, something called uh, the Connected Math Program. So this had its origins in the National Science Foundation looking for research that wound up with better outcomes for uh, middle school kids for mathematics. And they were looking for programs that could be proven to have, you know, uh, better outcomes as measured in, you know, higher performance, uh, uh, better results, higher test scores, and so forth. So this program uh, launched a, a series of textbooks, um, the Connected Math Series for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. They're currently in their third printing, Connected, uh, Connected Math 3. The authors are working uh, as we speak on Connected Math 4, the fourth version of it. And this has literally impacted millions of children uh, to improve their math skills. It's one of the best-selling mathematics programs in the country. And what I'm really proud of is um, all of the all of our authors, they actually uh, assigned all of their royalties back into the university to be plowed back into the program. Oh, so, Wow. Over $21 million has been plowed back into the program, developing new uh, research and uh, sort of best practices for math education. So that's really a terrific story. And see, that is a great story, too, because a lot of times people think that it's the patented inventions that are going to make a lot of money. And that's a perfect example of something that's not patented and not patent protectable, which has, one, made a huge impact, and two... Uh, brought in a lot of money for the university. So it's a great story to think creatively in terms of, you know, IP isn't only patents, it's literary Correct. works, it's trademarks, it's it's other things can have tremendous value as well. In this case, since the copyright was developed by National Science Foundation, the copyright was owned by the university. And so we worked with the authors to, you know, to help uh, manage the outcome of it. And so it's been, been a terrific process. Sometimes creative works can be very, very valuable. And that's a perfect example of one. Yeah, indeed. Um, and then maybe, uh, again, something on the, on the ag side, but not a plant, is 
we developed uh, one of our uh, professors, uh, Professor Don Penner, he developed an, an adjuvant that um, basically helped acted as a carrier for herbicides and pesticides to get into the leaf of, of plants. So you can imagine that if you're spraying an herbicide or a pesticide on a, on a leafy crop, this is a material that actually helped that active ingredient get into the circulatory system of the leaf. So you could get, actually get away with, with less pesticide or less active in, ingredient. And that was licensed to a company called uh, Winfield Solutions, uh, which is a Land O'Lakes company. And it brought in a lot of royalties uh, to the university. Again, just recently came off patent, but it's still very, very widely used uh, throughout the United States. So a lot of acres uh, treated with it. Big impact. Yeah, anything that can reduce uh, herbicides and their spread and runoff, things like that is is tremendously important. So that's that's really awesome. You know, I had talked about some of our breeding programs earlier. In each of those, we've been very successful in licensing a lot of unique varieties to variety of, uh, of uh, international companies, uh, local nurseries, et cetera, to, uh, to help, those, help those plant varieties get out in the hands of the public. Yeah, and I think that's an, another example of, you know, even though you can protect things through plant patents, uh, PVPs, uh, maybe utility patent, depending on what it is, again, those are types of things that can have tremendous revenue, even if they aren't uh, protected by one of those means. Right. So it sounds like you guys are firing on all cylinders, your offices, you've got a lot of programs, you're doing really well. You have the, you know, the the Business Connect, the Spartan Innovations, the Accelerator, the Incubator. What would you say in view of all that might be some of your office's biggest challenges? Yes. So um, two of them, I would say. Um, and the first one I commented on briefly earlier when you were talking about metrics, I said that, you know, Part of those metrics come as a result of the development of the ecosystem. And so I think continuing to develop a thriving startup ecosystem, attracting funding, making people aware that, you know, hey, Michigan is not a is not a flyover country. There's a terrific amount of startups here between ourselves, the University of Michigan down the road, Wayne State University, Michigan Tech University. It's really a great ecosystem in the state, and we're trying to continue to build and develop on that. So but but that's an ongoing uh, that's an ongoing challenge that, that that we have, especially in attracting talent for uh, for our our new startups. So attracting uh, business talent to run those startups and to, and to build those companies that continues to be a challenge for us. And I would also say that uh, in my office, you know, if I look to hiring and retention, you know. Um, Good technology managers and good licensing professionals, you know, that's a that's a that's a good skill set. It's a tough skill set. And we you know we're, we're always looking and, and trying to attract and retain great uh, tech transfer uh, talent. Yeah, that's a consistent theme I hear from a lot of people in tech transfer offices. Hiring and retention is is a challenge. Yeah, uh, but but having said that, you know, um, I view that uh, our office. That nothing makes me happier that if we've developed a uh, if we've developed a professional in the tech transfer area and they have a great opportunity to take the next step in their career someplace else, you know that's a, por- a point of pride that they get recruited out of our office. And uh, even though I'm sad to see them go, I'm happy to see them be successful. And uh, 
and then I, I, I usually talk to uh, the, the d- director of whatever office they're going to, and I, I tease them that they, they owe me one. So <laughs> I, may, I may try to recruit one of their professionals in the, in the future. There you go. Switching gears a little bit, um, one of the topics I always like to explore with people from various tech transfer offices is women inventors and entrepreneurs and and whether or not your office, university, uh, innovation center does anything or has any particular programs to help encourage and assist women inventors and women entrepreneurs. Yeah, uh, actually glad you asked me that question. This has been a, uh, an area, I would say, of, of recent awareness and activity. So I think it was maybe three or four years ago, um, I was talking to a group within Autumn who was focused on women in tech transfer, women inventors, and they were asking me some questions about how well um, women were represented amongst our inventors, you know, our entrepreneurs. And I was a little embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed at the result, but I was embarrassed that actually I didn't know off the top of my head because I actually we did not break out our statistics our, our statistics by by gender at that time, and I realized, boy, this is something you have to do if you're really gonna if you're gonna improve something. The at the minimum, you have to begin to measure it, and so we began keeping track of the gender of our inventors, so we could actually answer questions like, you know, what is what are the percentage of patents we have where there's a, a woman inventor on it. What are the percentage of entrepreneurs that we would invent on? Is that representative of the research community we have within the university, et cetera? And so I, I would say we're in early stages on that. I, I think I'm glad that we started making progress, but, uh, you know, uh, I think we have more to do. Um, uh, my university now is active in sponsoring some of the, there's a couple of, uh, of women innovators, faculty members within the university and we've, my office has helped uh, pay their sponsorship fees to attend some uh, women entrepreneurship events so that we can support and hopefully they can play forward and, and give back and, and help mentor others within the university. And I know that's a big push with Autumn, too, right now as well. We, I talked to Mark Sidema in a, a few interviews ago, and he that was part of his uh, speech as Autumn Chair this year that he gave uh, kind of virtually uh, pushing, uh, you know, diversity and equality and, and things like that. And inclusion, so, right? Yeah, and inclusion. Yeah, in, fact, in fact, Mark's uh, Mark kind of took the lead on this uh, when he was the chair elect and really helped make it one of the strategic initiatives of Autumn. And uh, so, uh, I think Mark showed great leadership on this. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more to come from Autumn on that. And um, I, I'm excited to see where that all will lead. Along the same lines, I think uh, there's been a lot of interest and talk recently about credentialing things like CLP, RTTP. What's your view on that? Um, Do you think um, those things make a difference? Yeah, so I think they do make a difference. Um, But, you know, part of it is it's it's a bit of a process and it does not make a difference until uh, until it makes a difference in individual people's careers. And so, the two primary uh, credentialing uh, programs that exist in tech transfer are the CLP, the Certified Licensing uh, Professional uh, Designation, and the RTTP, the Registered Tech Transfer uh, Specialist uh, Professional Position. So um, they, they measure slightly different things. Uh, CLP really uh, measures one's capability in specific to licensing, which is one part of tech transfer. 
But the RTTP is perhaps a little bit broader. It measures different types of aspects of the tech transfer uh, career. I, I think they're, 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 both, uh, they're both great, and we support them both. And part of the way we support them is when we have openings for new licensing professionals, we are beginning to ask for either a CLP or RTTP uh, credentials in our, in our hiring. If uh, that's considered a plus amongst the candidates uh, who apply for our office. Interesting. Okay. I want to go back to Autumn for a second. Um, You've been an active member and a leader in that organization for some time. In fact, you're its immediate past chair. Can you talk about its evolution and growth over time and what the organization has meant to you? Sure. Um, Let me start with the first one about the the evolution and growth over time. So it's interesting. So Autumn's actual first name was Supa which I think stood for Society of University Patent Administrators. And I think that was its origin. And I think that says a lot about how the profession was was really created. At the time, tech transfer was really about obtaining patenting on things, you know. But I think like a lot of people in autumn, it's been the networking and the people that I have met. So at the very first meeting of uh, autumn meeting I attended, which I think was in the spring of 2009, so I'm actually fairly recent to autumn if you compare to a lot of my uh, my professional colleagues. Um, but I, I was introduced to a bunch of people who remain who who became friends and remain friends and colleagues to this day. A lot of how you're the re, the way you become successful in your job is that when you have a problem you haven't seen before, I can pick up the phone, I can dial, you know, dozens of friends and colleagues who faced a similar problem, and they can talk to me about how they solved it. And I think that's really part of what Autumn does best. And uh, by taking a volunteer role in Autumn, it's helped me one meet more people, and two learn more about the profession that I may not have been aware of, and just from the universities that I've worked at, and. Uh, Continuing to serve Autumn, being on their board of directors has really been a privilege. And of course, representing Autumn as their chair last year was a terrific privilege and really the, the, the highlight of one of the highlights of my uh, professional career. Yeah, it's been amazing to watch. I, I joined Autumn in the mid-1990s, and it's just been incredible to watch the amount of growth. And you're absolutely right about those annual meetings and watching people who've been friends every year get together and, and just, you know, that um, kind of camaraderie and sharing experiences. And I think it's that networking social aspect of it that builds those bridges, those connections. uh, That's been just amazing to watch with, with the organization. Yes. uh, So I received, uh, unfortunately, most people know we had to cancel our annual meeting uh, this, this year at, at the very, at a very late moment because of the, increasing a threat to the pandemic. And um, when I received a fair number of emails from from members and friends and colleagues, uh, all supportive, but all said, uh, you know, this was the right thing to do. But boy, am I going to miss, you know, not getting together with my friends and seeing people. And uh, there was a lot of sense of loss at the, at the, the meeting that we couldn't have. Yeah, I would agree with you. A lot of people were really, I think it was more of a, you know, bummed out um, that they weren't going to get to spend time with, you know, this person that they only get a chance to see once a year. But, you know, again, like you said, with the understanding that it was the right decision at that time. So hopefully Seattle goes off next year without a hitch. Yeah. So the, um, 
the uh, there was a lot of really terrific content and a lot of really special surprises that uh, Autumn volunteers and staff had produced for the meeting. And there's going to be some things that people hadn't seen before that were really going to be terrific. And uh, I'll keep the surprise because uh, hopefully we'll be able to reuse a lot of that. And the next time we're together for a big annual meeting, we'll be able to release that as an experience for all the members to have. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the next time we can all get together. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So, Rich, I usually like to close these podcasts by asking the person I'm talking with if they had, you know, I usually say three wishes. If I had a genie in a bottle that I could give you and give you three wishes uh, that you don't have to use all three, you can use two or one, you can't have four um, for your office. Um, or if you could have a vision for your office realize, what would that be? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Uh, good question. Yeah, so... I, I think I can think of three. So the first one, the first one builds about the story that I uh, said a little bit earlier about the gentleman I met whose daughter was saved by uh, Cisplatin. So if in my career, I can be part of uh, meeting more people whose lives were better because of technologies that were commercialized out of Michigan State University, if I have a chance to meet them on the street and uh, either customers of our startups or customers of our technology, you know, that, that makes my day. So, so that's, I guess, one of my wishes to be able to meet the people whose lives have been impacted. Um, I'd say the second one is uh, to have either student interns who've worked in our office, licensing staff or other members of the MSU team go on to be difference makers and successful in their life after working with us. I think uh, I think that that would be terrific. Um, we have a little we have a little uh, um, segment on our website called "Where Are They Now?" and it talks about interns who work for MSUT who are now in their professional lives and and what they're doing. And uh, one of my favorite features, actually, to talk will point to interns we had who are now on successful careers in part because of their experience with us. So to have more of that happen. And maybe the last one, maybe a little bit of a selfish one, uh, before, I, uh, before I leave MSU, I'd like to have uh, one more home run like Cisplat, you know, <laughs> um, not, only for the, not only for the financial impact, uh, but, you know, the, the royalties that came in from Cisplatin, that actually formed the corpus of the MSU Foundation. And each year, the MSU Foundation reinvests those royalties in capacity building and this ecosystem we're talking about, Spartan Innovations, MSU Technologies. And so it's really been a, a, a reinvestment in the research enterprise. And so if uh, during my tenure here, if we could have one more home run like that, uh, I'd be really thrilled and be able to count that as a, as a legacy that, uh, that was created at the university at the time I was there. So, Well, that's really three good uses of your your wishes. So good job. <laughs> so Rich, I can't thank you enough for all your time and your insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Yeah, I'd be happy to talk to anyone who, who'd uh, enjoy speaking. They can send me an email at rchilla, that's R-C-H-Y-L-L-A, at msu.edu. Great. Thanks so much again, Rich. It's been great having this opportunity to talk to you. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.